Well, in the scripture passage that we studied last week, we read in Luke chapter 9, and as you know, we're following along verse by verse in Luke chapter 9. We read there in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, these words. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Folks, those last words in that passage that I just read there, verse 27, they might seem somewhat out of place with the other verses that just came before it or will come afterwards. Those words again, verse 27, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now with those words, Jesus was beginning to make his disciples aware that there was something beyond their natural senses of understanding that was taking place. He was beginning to reveal to them that while the full manifestation of his kingdom will only come to fruition fully over the many years of the future, that his kingdom had already begun. It had its beginning. His kingdom had its beginning in those very first moments that he arrived in this life. You'll recall that there was an angel talking to Joseph. And he said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet and said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Those words, Emmanuel, God with us, meant that God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, had actually arrived there on the earth in those first moments as Jesus was born there in that stable. And here, as Jesus taught and as he preached the gospel among the people, he was more and more manifesting the presence of his kingdom. You might recall also those words in Luke 17 when Jesus was asked when the kingdom of God would come. And he had said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, something that you'll be able to gloriously see taking place. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst and within you. Precious words. And then also you'll recall all those many parables that Jesus would give speaking of the kingdom of God. He'd begin them by saying, the kingdom of God is like unto, and then he would give an example like that of, it's like unto a mustard seed that will grow into a giant tree. And now here in this passage, where Jesus is telling the disciples that they had not die until the 
kingdom of God was revealed to them. Jesus wanted them to be able to fully understand the truth that the kingdom of God was already there and beginning to grow just as God had planned for it to grow. And then to further manifest who he truly was, here in these next words uh, given in the passage that I'll read for us in a moment, the Lord Jesus gave a revelation of himself and of the presence of the kingdom of God like had never been given before that time and will never be seen again until he appears in his glory at the end of days. Listen to these mysterious words and follow along with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 9. And these words begin at verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, and they went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, his death, which would be accomplished at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him, they were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. And let me make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came down and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When that voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one of those days any of the things that they had seen. Now, sometimes, perhaps often, there are events presented to us in these scriptures that give us very little explanation. And they sometimes leave us wondering as to the full meaning and application that we should take from those words. And at first reading, at first reading the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus seems to be one of those events. It's just one set of verses right in the middle of other verses that seem not to have relevance. But listen, we need to remind ourselves that there is an unwavering truth that applies throughout all of these scriptures. And that truth is that all of the words, all of the words are expressly given to us for our edification and our blessing. And we're told that in 2 Timothy 3, where he, the Lord tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every word in these scriptures will instruct and edify. These words here of 2 Timothy, they're especially true. And especially true regarding this transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. There's an important message for you and me in these words. And you and I ought to be drawn to understand what that message is. Now, first in, in purpose for those words 
is that as Jesus appeared in the brilliance and the brightness of his glorified body, we are being given a clearer, more convincing revelation of exactly who he truly is. Yes, Jesus is the Son of Man. Flesh and blood, just like those other men, just as we are. But he's also, listen, Jesus is also Son of God. He is Son of Man, but he is also Son of God. He is the express image of God the Father. The express image of God the Father. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to these words. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is the Lord Jesus, the express image of the person of God the Father and upholding all things by the word of his power. Unfortunately, when left only to the comprehension of our natural mind, these words describing Jesus' transfiguration, they take us far beyond our ability to truly understand. And here in this passage in Luke chapter 9, we can see that Peter, James, and John, they were suffering that same kind of limitation. They didn't know what was taking place in front of them there. And although, yes, leading up to that moment, those men had been privileged to watch Jesus perform all sorts of miracles, turning water into wine or healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding 5,000, and on and on. But still, even with all of that fresh in their minds, they still struggled to fathom that Jesus could actually be the God of glory. Thankfully, Jesus was fully aware of their limitations. And he was also aware that if in the years to come, if Peter, James, and John were going to be depended upon to carry forward his ministry of building the church, then they would need far more solid grounding than their simple human comprehension could provide. Jesus knew that they would need some visual forms proof to shore up their faith and that he needed to give them those visual forms of proof so that they would truly know that he was who he claimed to be the God of glory and yes yes Jesus has clearly said to us that faith alone is far better than sight that we ought to believe because of faith rather than sight he said that to Thomas you'll recall he said to Thomas he said Thomas because you have seen me you believe, but blessed are those, far more blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. So faith, yes, rather than sight, truly is the foundation for all of us in our belief in Christ. Faith. But again, because Jesus knows the limitations within our souls, he knew then and he knows now that he would need to give some visual proof in order to help his disciples to progress on forward in their faith. And he had been doing that regularly. Jesus had been doing that regularly with his disciples, as I mentioned a moment ago. He used his miracles to confirm that he not only had supernatural power and ability, but that he also truly was the very God of glory, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one 
who had come to save them and us from our sins. Jesus knew that they knew that it was God and God alone who could forgive sin. And so in Mark chapter 2, while he was healing this paralytic, he made that point. And it's a point that you and I need to take to heart and understand. Jesus said to them, which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, take up your pallet and walk, but that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. I say to this paralytic, take up your bed and walk. Folks, let me assure you and me that Jesus often does much the same with each of us personally. Now, we most often don't recognize that it's His hand that's involved in these wonderful things that are taking place in our life. But He gives you and me visual proofs every day of His presence and His power. And all we need to do is simply be watchful, have open eyes and open ears to hear. Jesus truly is the express image of God the Father. And He upholds everything that takes place all day, every day. All those occurrences that are taking place in your and my life, His hand is inserted into each one of those circumstances. Now, may I give us a strong caution here. These words about the Lord Jesus being the express image of God, they must never be taken as being symbolic or figurative. They're not intended to be that. We're not supposed to. We, we must not believe that Jesus is simply like God or He's similar to God the Father. Folks, to the contrary, these scriptures specifically say that Jesus actually is fully one with the Father. He is one in essence. He is one in being with God the Father. And while that kind of concept is so difficult for our minds to grasp, these words are defining that deeper truth. And it's speaking about the Trinity of God. That yes, there are three members of the Trinity. And they are all three, one in essence and one in being. I recall when I first started to realize that truth, I was reading Isaiah chapter 9 about the prophecy of the coming birth of the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, listen to these words. These are very familiar words. You're used to hearing them, but listen carefully. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you note those words carefully? Let me say again. These truths about the Lord Jesus are not symbolic or figurative language. They are literal. These words here in Isaiah tell us that Jesus is the Son, yes, but He is also the mighty God. And He is also everlasting Father. Yes, God the Father is God the Father. But it's also true that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, being three, yes, are also one. One in essence, one in nature, and one in being. And again, I don't expect my meager human mind or yours to fully comprehend that concept. But it is nevertheless true. It is absolutely true. 
Everything that Jesus was and everything that he experienced was equally shared and equally experienced by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And again, yes, this is all far beyond our normal human ability to comprehend. And folks, that's why so many of the secular scholars don't understand this. It takes the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to explain it to our minds. And so through simple faith and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you and me, unlearned people like us, can know that it's all true, that Jesus truly is God. And that transfiguration taking place there was beginning to reveal who He is. Now another intended purpose of this transfiguration experience was to give you and me the encouragement to know and to believe that there will surely also be a transformed body awaiting each of us as we abandon this corrupt earthly frame and join the Lord Jesus there in paradise. That you and I, we will also have a new and glorious heavenly incorruptible body just as we're seeing here in this. Listen, as Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his death, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, folks, while the glorious bodies of Moses and Elijah were probably not nearly as brilliant and beautiful as that transfigured body of the Lord Jesus. Still, their bodies were glorious. And those words, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, those words tell us, they assure us that there surely is life after death. Those men had died hundreds of years earlier, and yet here they were. So seeing them there with Jesus and him presenting them there to us, that assures us that there surely is life after death. And that a transformation will surely also take place with you and me. Because listen, Moses and Elijah, they were men. They were common, ordinary men, just like you and me. But what he's saying to us there, we'll no longer have this earthly, physical body that will grow old and deteriorate and die. But our heavenly bodies will still have some physical nature to them. Let me say that again. While we'll no longer have our earthly physical bodies, our heavenly bodies will still have some form of physical nature. That's what that transfiguration was uh, telling us about there. We know that because we can see Moses and Elijah there and they were recognizable. So, so many times people say, well, will we recognize each other in heaven? Yes. These words tell us so. They recognized Moses and Elijah. You and I will recognize each other. Listen to these words, how the Lord talks about these new bodies that we'll have. That's given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God explains it there saying, Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we then bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory." This perishable body of ours will take on the imperishable body of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful revelation that God is giving to us here in these words? In heaven, while you and I will still be recognizable as who we are, our new bodies will at that time be glorious and incorruptible, able to live for an eternity and never grow old. Never be feeble again. Isn't that a precious and delightful reward to look forward to? And praise be to God. Mm. Now another reason for presenting this occasion of Moses and Elijah meeting with the Lord Jesus there on the mountain is said by many Bible scholars to be for the purpose of confirming that the law of God represented there by Moses, and the prophecies of God there represented by Elijah, that they were all being fulfilled in this one person, the Lord Jesus, and in his soon coming death, burial, and resurrection. The laws, the prophets, and the Messiah all coming together as one. And that understanding is confirmed by part of that conversation that they were having with the Lord Jesus there about his coming death in Jerusalem. These words, and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Again, in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the Lord Jesus would fully accomplish all that the law and all that the prophets, all everything that was given there in the Old Testament will be fulfilled and accomplished by the Lord Jesus. Now, another reason for presenting this transfiguration of Jesus to us was to restate the superiority of Jesus above the level and the authority of common men, even those as revered as Moses and Elijah. In Hebrews 3, we're told, For this one, Christ Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Mm. Those words there in Hebrews 3, they tell us clearly that Jesus is superior to all men. He is God. He is the creator. He is the builder. He is the creator of the Moseses and the Elijahs. He's superior even to the most revered of prophets. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was so overwhelmed as he was seeing all of this take place that he attempted to put Jesus and Moses and Elijah all on the same level. And God 
would not have any of that. Listen to these words, how God responded to Peter. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says here, not knowing what he said. Peter didn't realize what he was saying. And so while he was saying this, a cloud came down and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now, Peter surely didn't intend any disrespect by his words. It had been common for him to hold these revered prophets in high esteem. But God the Father would not have any of that, especially as Peter would try to put Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the same level. And so he said to Peter sharply, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Folks, Jesus truly is above all others. And you and I must always hold him in that high honor. We might not think that we don't. We might think that we would never be found guilty of putting anyone on the same level or equal footing as Jesus. But as we look around us, listen, as we look around us at the popular preachers of our day and at their preaching, there is great need for concern. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus warned us about how this newly formed church can err in much the same way as those Old Testament believers did in and can mistakenly develop church teachings that can get intermingled with and substitute themselves cleverly for the real truths of God. And listen, that is especially so when these silver-tongued preachers spout their tantalizing doctrines that seldom ever mention the person and name of Jesus Christ. They speak their enticing words telling you that you can be all that you want to be. I'm thinking of one preacher that I'll not mention. But he talks about the 12 I am's. It's one of his big sermons. He said, you can say, I am smart and you can be smart. I am wealthy and you can be wealthy. That sermon was given during a church service to 30,000 people in his church. Silver-tongued preachers preaching tantalizing doctrines that seldom ever mention the person in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they speak these enticing words into our ears, telling us that we, instead of the Lord Jesus, can be lifted up to higher heights. And when that takes place, folks, when that takes place, Jesus is not exalted, and God is not glorified, and the church is in trouble. These words from the Lord Jesus, listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 15. These people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching doctrines as doctrines the commandments of men. We dare not get caught up in the fervor of those false teachers. You cannot imagine the roar of the amens from all of those people in that church as he would spout out that foolishness. Folks, listen, we must do as God commanded Peter to do there on that Mount of Transfiguration. There he said, this is my son, hear him. This is my beloved son, hear him. One last thought and we'll close. Our part, our part in the great mystery of the Lord Jesus and of his ever-present 
kingdom here on this earth is a very simple one. Our part is to simply read words such as these within our scripture and to trust the truth that they give to us. Jesus truly is the Lord our God. And we are to do as God instructs us. And that is to hear Him. To hear the Lord Jesus. And to hear Him alone. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father. Dear Father. We repent of listening to those foolish words of so many of the preachers of our day. Where they lift up men rather than Christ. They not only put men on the level of Christ, they put him above Christ. We don't want to do that. Forgive us when we do that. Help us to hear the Lord Jesus and hear him alone. We pray in his name. Amen.